Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. A question for you guys. Has anybody here seen that latest Star Wars movie? Anybody? Now, okay. Now, I can't vouch for it yet because I haven't seen it yet, but I probably will see it because I am a sucker for a good sequel. You know, you know, I am. I just, you know, they have one movie, and I liked it. I want to see the next movie, and it just goes on from there. In fact, when I was growing up, the ones that I was addicted to were the Rocky movies. You guys remember those Rocky movies? It's like, yeah, one after the other. It's like, Sylvester Stallone just won't stop. I mean, he comes up with a new storyline after it. We used to have these Rocky movie marathons. I wouldn't do that now because it would go on too long. But, you know, we'd, we'd have a fun time just watching the Rocky movies because we loved sequels. And Hollywood knows that we love sequels, which is why they do sequels like the Chronicles of Narnia series or the Hunger Games series, because sequels are really good. Today we are going to look at a sequel, another good sequel. As a church, we are studying our way through the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 26, and we've seen that Abraham died last week. A few chapters before that, his wife, Sarah, passed away. And now the baton has been firmly passed, and it's been placed into the hand of Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac is large and in charge of his life. What will happen now that Isaac is the one who's carrying along God's promises and blessings? And this is where it gets really interesting today, guys. Because what we're going to find is that Isaac seems to face the exact same tests as his father. Isaac falls to the exact same sins of his father. Isaac goes through the exact same consequence or conflicts, excuse me, as his father did. And when Isaac makes the right choices, he continues in the same blessing his father had. Isaac's life is just a close sequel of Abraham's life. Isaac is the uh, first in the installment of men and women who follow God walking by faith. But while Isaac was the first on the, uh, in the installments of after Abraham, he's certainly not the last. Because the truth is that that is the story of the rest of the Bible, isn't it? And that story continues all the way down to today because you and I, we are men and women who are trying to be made right with God by faith alone, who are trying to follow and walk with God by faith and trust alone. We are, as it were, Another sequel in this continual story that starts with Abraham. Now, before we look at our story, we're going to spend the lion's share of our time this morning looking at Isaac's story, the first sequel to Abraham. We have a number of things we're going to look at today. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter, a lot of practical stuff in this chapter. And what we're going to build all these points around is the fact that Isaac's life is very similar to Abraham's life and very similar to ours as well. So let's look at the first point. You notice this. I face the same struggles to obey God as my parents. I will face the same struggles to obey God as my parents. And here's the one we see in Isaac and with us as well. 
obeying God's words when they're really hard to follow. That's the struggle. Let's see how we see this in Isaac's life. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. Ah, similar, just like Abraham. Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Isaac faces a famine. We typically call this a recession. We call this high unemployment. If you're a farmer, we call this a drought. We call this no crops. If you have no crop insurance, you are done during a famine. This is not good. During a famine, there is high unemployment. Nobody has money. People don't go to the store for meat. They go out back and they hunt for meat. Isaac is doing the only logical thing to do when there's a famine. He's getting out of town. He's going a place where the jobs are. He's going a place where the food is. He's going a place where there is water. He's going to Egypt. Egypt has the Nile River. The Nile River means that things are always growing and going. The Nile River is just a good place to go. I think, I bet you they even have a super Walmart in Egypt. I mean, it's where you want to go when you live around nothing. So it's the no-brainer for him to go there. He's on his way out of town. And as you look at this ge- geographically, Gerar is a Philistine city that as you're leaving the promised land, he would stop in. He's figuring what he's going to do is stop in Gerar, you know, a little potty break, refill his Starbucks, top off the humps in his camels, you know, and, and get ready for the long road trip. He's in Gerar, and God just stops him and says, Stop. Stay right here. Go no farther. Stay right here in the midst of the famine. Don't go to Egypt, and I will bless you. Now, what would you do if you heard that? Would you be like, Excuse me, God, there's no water here. This is like asking me to stay and move into Flint, Michigan. Nobody wants to go to Flint, Michigan. Why would you want me to stay here? I think I heard you wrong. Can't we, like, maybe, maybe a sign? I want to move on. This is what Abraham is, or Isaac is facing. Will he obey God's word when it seems to make absolutely no logical sense? Does that sound familiar? Let's start with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. He faced a famine. What was the first thing he did? Ran to Egypt. Did not go well for him. Almost loses his wife into Pharaoh's harem. Picks up a girlfriend while he's there. Girlfriend's name is Hagar. Does not go well. Uh, has a child through his girlfriend. Really messes up his life and actually messes up the, like the world for thousands of years after. Egypt, not really a good place to go in a famine. Now, not only is Egypt not the place to go, but staying in Gerar doesn't seem to be the place to stay. Because if you need to understand this, Gerar is Philistine territory. 
Those of you who have like a big picture of the Bible, like, are the Philistines God's friends or God's enemies? Usually enemies, you know, David and Goliath, Goliath is the Philistine. So you find out later in biblical history, these guys don't get along well. And if he is in Gerar, we know that culturally he is not a citizen of this city, so he has no protection in this city. He's like a free agent that could easily get picked off by people. It's like, God, I think you messed this up. Stay in a place where there is no water. Stay in a city where I could get easily picked off and I have no protection. Isaac, same challenge I gave to your dad. Will you obey my words even when they make no logical sense? But you realize... That's not just the challenge that was given to Abraham. That's not just the challenge that was then given in the sequel to Isaac. But it goes on down the line, and it's the same challenge that is given to you and me today. Let me give you some examples. For instance, uh, the Bible says this in Colossians 3.13, Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, that sounds nice until somebody has really hurt you, until somebody has done and said something really mean and nasty to you. Some of you are uh, single moms because your husband has left you. Your husband has cheated on you. He's done some terrible, mean, and nasty, and wicked things to you in your life. Forgive him like Christ forgave me? Oh, that's for some other situations. That's for some other times. It's not for me because I get to hold on to this one. Will you obey God's Word when it seems to make no logical sense? That was the challenge for Abraham. That was the challenge for Isaac. It's the challenge for you and me. I'll give you another one. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do, do not withhold your tunic either. When somebody is mean to you, do you go out of your way to start praying for them? Go out of your way to be kind to them? To actually help them? The world says, hurt your enemies. Jesus says, help your enemies. But that makes no logical sense. Will you obey God's words even when it makes no logical sense? The only way you will do this is if you are willing to live by faith and trust God's words, not what you feel or think is right at the moment. It's the same challenge that Isaac had to stay in the land of famine, the same challenge that you and I have to forgive, to pray, and to love others who are enemies. Well, that's the first point. Let me, let me just follow up on this. 
not only do we face the same struggles to obey as our parents as part of that, we find that when we do obey God's Word, God will bless the life of my children. Did you realize that? The Scripture says this to Isaac, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. This is talking about if you obey me. And I will give to your offspring all these lands. And to your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then notice this. He says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac, you right now are the recipient of of my blessing that I have poured out into your father's life. When your father obeyed me on his good days, when it made no logical sense, I blessed him for it. And that blessing has now cascaded down into your life as his child. And you are enjoying it. See, we often think that when we follow God and when we obey God when it's hard, it's just a matter of our relationship with God that's, that's going on. It's not. What happens is when you obey God on these hard commands He gives, God blesses you and He blesses your children. Do you realize that? I have a question for you. Would you rather, if you had a choice, would you rather God bless you for his obedience to His Word or God bless your children? For obedience. Children. Every parent said, God, don't bless me. Bless my kids. And here's what I want to tell you, folks. Obey God's words when it's hard. In faith, trusting that God will make it work out. And He'll bless not just you, but He'll bless your kids for obeying His word. I'll give you an example. Sometimes I see husbands and wives and they come into my office and they're fighting like cats and dogs. And, you know, it'd be so much easier just to end that relationship, walk away. They think it's going to be clean, but here's the deal. Fight on. Humble yourself. Swallow your pride. Not to just to bring glory to God. <laughs> Not just to restore your relationship with one another. But to bless your kids. Your kids will be blessed when you work it through in those difficult, difficult times. God essentially says to Isaac, you know, be just like your dad on his best day. Pass the blessing to your children. So the first thing we see is that I face the same strength, struggles to obey God as my parents. The next thing we see is this out of the text. I face the temptation to sin, same temptations to sin as my parents. Do you realize that? For instance, it's hard to break the cycle of sin of my parents. It's very hard to break that. Here you'll see the example of the cycle of sin. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Now, this is going to sound really familiar if you've been with us through this study. For he feared to say my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said, Well, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Incidentally, just so you know, uh, last week we saw the birth of Jacob and Esau. 
which uh, were born to Rebecca and Isaac. Chronologically, this took place before the birth of Jacob and Esau. Otherwise, it would be pretty obvious that they were husband and wife, right? So this comes actually before this. This comes during the 20 years of her infertility. What happens is Isaac is settled in Gerar. Famine is in the land. And everybody, all these Philistines, they're irritable. They're angry. They have no food. They're scarfing. And, you know, Isaac is getting nervous. I have no rights here, no legal protection. I've got a hot, smoking hot wife. Someone's going to bump me off to get her. And so he starts to do the exact same thing as Father Abraham did. When Abraham went to Egypt, he said his wife was his sister because he's afraid of Sarah's beauty. When Abraham went to Gerar, very same city, very same location, he said his wife was his sister. He was afraid of her beauty. So here we have Isaac doing the same thing. And I thought to myself, Isaac, didn't you learn? Why are you repeating the sin of your parents? And the more you think about this, like, Isaac, you have absolutely no excuse for this. Number one, God had providentially guided Isaac and Rebekah together. Remember that story a couple chapters back? If God brought them together, don't you think God is completely capable of keeping them together? Sort of obvious. Number two, as a boy, remember when Isaac was brought up on the Mount Moriah by his father and he was supposed to be killed and the knife was right in the air and all of a sudden Isaac heard for the first time in his life God's voice saving his life and God providing a ram caught in the thicket. If God saved his life once from the knife of his father, don't you think he can save him from a scheming, conniving Philistine? Not that hard. Number three, Isaac has just been told by God to stay in the land and God will take care of blessing him. Why should he worry about losing his life? God promised to simply stay and be blessed. Here's the point. Even when it's completely irrational, even when you have everything going in your favor by God, when you get under pressure, it is extremely difficult to not repeat the sin of your parents. Even if it makes no logical sense. Extremely difficult. For instance, when you grow up in a house that's riddled with alcoholism and drugs, you may get out of that house and say, I'm never going to have that as part of my life. But then when life gets busy and you get under pressure and you start to get fearful, what do you go back to? The sin of your parents, many people do. Maybe you grew up in a house where your father's a, a workaholic. Life ends up under pressure. And what do you do? Start to ignore your spouse and become a workaholic, just like dad. Because you saw that and you learned that. Maybe you grew up in a house where you saw a fighting between your parents and your father abused your mother in the midst of that fighting. What does a son do when he gets married and goes into his marriage and he finds fighting between him and his wife? What is it so easy to do? Do the exact same thing he saw his daddy do because that's the cycle of sin he learned from his parents. 
If you're a young daughter and you grew up in your house and your mom was a whiner, a complainer, and a backbiter, and that's what she did all the time, what are you going to do when things aren't comfortable in your marriage? The sin of your mother. It is so easy to go there. Now, just a little quick question. How many of you find yourself doing and saying things that are just like your parents, and when you grew up, you said you would never do it? That's all. Like the rest of you are just shy, right? Because we all are doing the things of our parents. Because it's so hard to break the cycle of sin of our parents. Now, can we break that cycle of sin? Yes. You need to, number one, you have to recognize it. Number two, you have to be praying about it. Number three, you have to be working hard on it. But you have to understand it's so easy to go right back to where your parents left off. Look what the Scriptures say here. 2 Kings 17, 41. So these nations feared the Lord, but notice this. They also served their carved images. Uh, so their children did likewise, and their children's children did likewise. As their fathers did, so they do to this day. Here's my question for you. If you were to stop right now and take an inventory of your life, what is it about your life that is a sinful habit or sinful way that you do not want your children doing? Is it your mouth? Do you want your children using the same kind of words out of their mouth as you use out of your mouth? Be careful. They'll follow in that same cycle. Is it your anger when you get irritable? What do you do and what do you say? You're casting it right into your children's life. Is it the way you treat your husband or the way you treat your wife? Your children will do the same. Today, if God has convicted you on something, right here in your notes, I want you to write something down. Write down what it is and say, I'm going to make this an issue of prayer and I'm going to work on this because I don't want the cycle of sin to repeat into my children's generation. The next thing we see about this cycle of sin is this. When I sin, I expose others to the consequences of my sin. We find this through verses 10 and 11. Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. He's got legal protection then, that's for sure. Here's the way it transpires. Uh, and by the way, I'm not 100% sure if this is the way it goes, but here's my conjecture. Um, in that culture, you had flat roofs. You often had some walls on those flat roofs, so you had some privacy. If your, your neighbor stood on his roof and you stood on your roof, you could have some privacy on there. And the houses were relatively equal in height. So you've got the, the son of the day, you have... Isaac and Rebecca have been pretending to be brother and sister, so they really miss each other. Seems like they go up to a roof, and they start acting in a, uh, let's say, a husband and wife way, not a little brotherly and sisterly way. Isaac's name means laughter, so Mr. Laughter is having a little bit of fun with Mrs. Laughter. That's literally the play in the Hebrew of what it says. You know, they're having a little bit of fun. And uh, the one house, by the way, that would have a higher roof would be the king's. 
the king's house is always high, and so he can look out and see his kingdom. So the king just providentially happens to be looking out his window and says, oh, trust me, they're not brother and sister. That's definitely husband and wife. And the ruse is over with. They're caught. And here's what I think is interesting. The king calls Isaac on the carpet, but he doesn't call him on the carpet just for lying to him and make the lying the big issue. He says, here's the deal. Do you understand how your sin could have hurt others? How it could have hurt Rebecca? How some innocent guy could have tried to take her as his wife and then innocently committed adultery? And how our nation could have been cursed by God because of adultery that was going on right in our midst. You see, Isaac's sin exposed innocent people to the consequences of his sin. This is the lesson you want to take and write down. When I sin, innocent people will suffer. When I sin, innocent people will suffer. In fact, it says this, Romans 14, 7, For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If you think that you just live an independent, isolated life, you just got to smell the coffee. We are all woven and connected together. When you live righteously, your righteousness of your life, the right choices of your life, bless other people. And when you choose to sin, other people that you have no direct connection with will suffer because of your sin. Let me show you how this works biblically. Uh, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua's conquering the promised land. The first city they go to conquer is Jericho. They just toast Jericho. The walls fall down. All kinds of good stuff happens. And God says, dedicate everything to destruction. Keep nothing for yourself. Everybody follows orders except for one guy named Achan. Achan says, well, nobody's going to know. I'm just going to keep a little bit, some gold, some robes. Just digs a hole, puts it under his tent, says, you know doesn't influence anybody. Nobody has to know. Secret sin. They go to the next city, Ai. Things do not go according to plan. In fact, instead of beating them, they get destroyed. 36 people die. My God, what's going on? And God says, somebody is disobeying my word. And they do a whole process of elimination. It comes up that it's Achan. That Achan sinned and 36 innocent people died because of his sin. Because God had withdrawn the hand of blessing upon the nation because of the sin of one person. So when you think, I can sin and nobody else will be influenced by it, that's not true. When you sin, your entire church suffers. When you sin, your wife and your children will suffer. Even if you see no direct connection between the two, you, they will suffer. Let me give you some examples of how uh, this works. Students, you study really hard for a test. And you're honest and you work hard. But somebody else gets a hold of the answers and they cheat. And so they get a higher grade because they cheated. And you know what happens? You suffer because they blew the curve. 
when they cheated, your grade went down. Or, you know, you're honest, and somebody else turns in a fraudulent insurance claim. They make it up so they can get money out of the insurance company, because after all, is that what the insurance company is for? Do we get money out of them? Whose rates go up? Our rates. They sinned, but we as innocent people suffer. Maybe you live on Big Spirit Lake and you're going this spring through your the, the lawn shed and you find some of those really old chemicals that have been in the back for a long time with skulls and crossbones on them. And you're like, what do I do with these things? How do I get rid of these things? Nobody's around and I'm just going to pour it out in the ground here by the lake, you know, so yeah, I can get rid of it. It goes away. The water will just wash it away. But on the other side of the lake, there's a little boy who's swimming, and that toxin ends up in his mouth, and he swallows, and he comes down with cancer. The innocent little boy suffers because of your sin. Isn't that the way it always works? Somebody drinks, and they, goes and they drive, and who dies? Usually a mother and a child that they've never met, innocently hit as the drunk driver runs the red light. Whenever I sin, other people will suffer. That, that really reframes it, doesn't it? Because we often think that sin is just our little thing, but sin influences everybody. Now, by the way, what happens here is uh, God providentially allows Isaac to get caught and he's like, ah, oh, bummer, I got caught. Well, that's actually a good thing. That was God's kindness that he got caught because the kindness kept the sin from happening when he, when he got caught. And some of you are like that. You're like, every time I do something like this, every time I sin, God always just hammers me and I get caught every single time. You know why? Because God's kind to you. He loves you. He's letting you get caught early before your sin makes other innocent people suffer. And this is what the Scriptures tell us. So we've learned, not only does, um, does Isaac and do we have the same challenge as our parents, not only do we have the same proclivity to the same sin of our parents, but we find here we face the same kind of conflicts as my parents. Here's what we find. The first sub-point is, if God blesses my life, Expect envy of my life. Verses 12 through 17. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. God is obviously keeping his word. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. <coughs> and Abimelech said to Isaac, just, just go away from us, for you are much mightier than we are. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac sows, reaps a hundredfold does not sound too impressive until you remember this is during a famine. Nobody is getting a crop. He doesn't just get a crop. He gets a bumper crop. 
And it's not just a bumper crop, but remember, his flocks are also flourishing. He's got tons of employees. He can't hire enough. He's just getting richer and richer and richer right in front of the Philistines' eyes. God is truly blessing him for his obedience. And here's the thing I want you to notice. When he gets rich, the Philistines can't handle it. They get filled with envy. And some of you are going to be able to connect right away with this because God has, maybe you're farmers, and God has blessed your socks off. Some of you are business people, and God has blessed your socks off. And what you find is the same thing that happened to Isaac happens to you. People, when they interact with you, what they do is they look at you with envy. Envy. It's being, uh, it colors all kinds of relationships. It's not being happy for someone's success. It's being jealous of someone's success. And here is where the church is to be very different. Folks, the world gets envious of other success. As the church, we should be able to celebrate others' success. That would be a distinctive difference between Christians and the world. In fact, the Scripture says this here in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When somebody is successful here in our church family, you know what? Be happy for them. Don't be envious of them. Don't be jealous of them. Say, you know what? I am so stoked. And here's what you need to understand. You know why you can celebrate someone's success and not be envious of it? When you celebrate someone's success, you are not celebrating the person. You are celebrating God who has given the blessing. Do you understand the difference? All good things come from God the Father. They come down from above. God, if He's given you salvation, guess what? It's a blessing you don't deserve. If God's given you financial success, it's a blessing you don't deserve. You just celebrate it when God gives people blessings they don't deserve because none of us deserve any kinds of blessings. Let me give you an example about something that was really hard for me. Some of you know that I used to be a wrestler. And when I was growing up, there was this uh, saying the coach had on his window. And it said this, anybody can be a state champion if you just work hard enough. And here's the thing that's funny. I actually believed it. Now, it's not, it's true that if you work hard, that's what you need to be a state champion. But here's the thing. Some of us are not as gifted as others. You guys know what I'm talking about, those naturally gifted athletes? I would work hard. I would run extra after practice. I would lift extra after practice. I would go to all kinds of things to learn technique. And then you'd have these guys who would come in and not practice hard and not work hard, but they're so naturally gifted, they'd win everything. And I was just jealous with envy. Like, my coach said if I just work hard, I could be a state champion. It didn't work out that way. I eventually learned, you know what? Just celebrate. Celebrate the fact that God gave them athletic gifts that I don't have. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God for being so kind to them. Don't be jealous of them. That's the way we should handle that as Christians. Not filled with envy, but celebrating God's kindness in someone's life. 
Now, in Isaac's situation, they start out filled with envy, but you notice they take it a next, to a next level? They go to something called malice. Let me explain to you what malice is. It's the desire to inflict harm or injury, or actually going ahead and inflicting harm or injury. You see somebody who's successful, and you're like, I am so jealous of them, I'm going to fight against them to ruin their success. And in Isaac's case, he's doing so well, these guys come up and they start filling in the wells. And if you don't have any water during a famine, your crops die. You don't have any water during a famine, your sheep look like raisins. It, it's just not a good thing. Now, here is where I think it gets interesting. A lot of people are filled with malice, and especially in the Christian church. I want to talk to you about this. In the Christian church, there is a lot of people who become malicious. And I'm going to be sort of a little cloaked as I talk about this, but I want to explain it to you. There are blogs out there, there are books, and there are even Christian organizations who spend all their time tearing down other Christians. Usually churches that have been successful, usually pastors that have been successful. And these guys, they write blogs telling you what's wrong with John Piper or all the great sins of Rick Warren or all the problems with John MacArthur. You name it, they're writing blogs about what's wrong with everybody. And what they are is they're just envious. They're malicious. They're not out there doing any practical spiritual good. They're just spending all their time tearing somebody else down. And they say, you know what? John MacArthur doesn't deserve to have been so successful. You know what? So what? If God just chose to put His hand on an imperfect person or an imperfect church and to raise it up and do great things through it, you know what? Just celebrate it. Don't be envious of it. Don't spend all your time trying to tear it down. Do some practical spiritual good. The last thing that comes out... Or in fact, I want to mention this to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Malice and envy should not be what characterizes us as a church. The last thing in this cycle is isolation. When people are filled with envy of you and they're malicious towards you, eventually the person ends up isolated. And this is exactly the opposite of what the church should be. The church should be not a place where you find people filled with envy, but people who celebrate God's blessing in others' lives. The church should not be a place where it's filled with malice and where you tear other people down, but it doesn't matter how successful you are. You just help build other people up. The church is not to be a place of isolation where you push people out if God's been successful and blessed their life, but it's to be a place of community where, you know what, we all work together, whether we've been successful financially or we haven't been successfully financially. It doesn't matter what we are. We're all about Jesus. Let me give you the last point here. In a conflict, I can be wronged and stay at peace while I trust God to take care of me. And Isaac dug again the wells of his the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water's ours. You didn't dig it, did you? And then he called the name of that well Essek, 
because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its, he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Here's what I want you to see. Notice Isaac was wronged again and again and again. They fought against him and filled in the wells. He didn't start a war, did he? He did everything he could to stay at peace. He didn't bring a lawsuit. He did whatever he could to maintain peace. In fact, when he went and dug a well in the valley, during a famine and digging a well and finding a spring well when you dug it is extremely rare. In essence, Isaac hits gold when he digs. Most wells are surface-level wells. A spring-fed well is very rare and extremely valuable. So the guys get so jealous of him, they just try to take it from him. This is what he does. You know what, guys? I'll stay at peace with you as much as I can. Tell you what, I'll name the well. You get to keep the well. Okay? We're calling the well quarrel. That's what it means. Quarrel. You guys fought over me with it. Moves on, digs another well. We're all going to be happy now. And... Strikes it again. Strikes water in the midst of a famine. Now, if they were green with envy before, they're purple with envy. And so what do they do? They wrong him again. They fight over the well. And finally he says, okay, I'll name the well. You guys keep the well. I'm wronged again. We're calling this one Sitna, which means adversary in Hebrew. It's the short name for Satan. <laughs> Don't you like it when you call the well Satan? <laughs> Finally, he says, I'm going a long way away. He goes far, far away, digs the well, once again strikes water because God is blessing him. Remember, stay in the land, I'm going to bless you. God blesses him again there. But he's so far away, it doesn't matter. He calls it Rehoboth, which means roomy. I've got some space. And here's the application. Just like Isaac, we're going to face people that are going to fight with us. We're going to face people that are going to undermine us. We're going to face people that are going to try and ruin any success that God may have given into our life. How will you handle it? Are you going to make a big fight about it? Big stink about it? Big lawsuit about it? Or are you going to do everything you can to stay at peace, be willing to be wronged, move on and say, you know, if God blessed me once, He can bless me again. God blessed me once, I can be wronged, I can move on, and I can trust God to bless me again. For you, maybe you work at Polaris, and you are working in the design area of a motorcycle, and you've designed a part of a motorcycle, and uh, you go to present it, and maybe your boss takes it and presents it for you, and your boss gets all the credit, and you get none of the credit, and you get angry about that, because that's not his. You could make a big stink about it. Or you could be willing to be wronged and trust God to bless you again. Maybe you're in sales. You work hard, really hard with a client and a customer to close the deal. 
And at the last minute, somebody else gets the phone call, and one of your other salesmen uh, gets the credit for the sale that you deserve. Well, you could be known as the person who puts up a big stink, a big fight, a big nasty, or you can stay at peace, willing to be wronged, and trust God to bless you again. My folks, we've talked about the fact that Isaac's life was just a close sequel of Abraham's life. Same tests, struggled with same sins, faces the same conflict, but when he obeyed, enjoyed the same blessing. Folks, our life is the next in that sequel. We face the same challenge. Will you obey God's Word when it makes absolutely no logical sense and trust that God will take care of you? You face some of the same conflicts. Will you allow yourself to be wronged, keep peace, move on, and trust God to bless you again? Just like He did for Isaac, again and again and again. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank You that we can look at the lives of those who have gone before, and we can learn about their struggles and about their sins and about the challenges that You gave them, because the struggles with sin they faced are often the same ones that we face. The challenge to trust You when it makes no logical sense, <laughs> it's the same one we have today. And just as You were faithful in their life, You'll be faithful in our life. Thank You, Lord, that we are part of a sequence. We're the next sequel in the story of people who are trying to walk by faith, and we can learn from those who have come before. We ask all this in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.